Hello, welcome to the Nagorno-Karabakh miniseries, produced by Regional Past Caucasus in collaboration with Eastern Dialogue. Today we are concluding the whole miniseries. We have prepared 10 interesting episodes covering the various aspects of the Nagorno-Karabakh conflict and war, interviewing journalists, experts, researchers, whose names are not always seen in mainstream media. In today's 10th episode, we are going to talk about the fate of cultural heritage after the Nagorno-Karabakh War. Our guest is Simone Marakan, lecturer of international relations at the University of Colorado, based in Denver. Simone researches preservation politics. He has founded the Julfa Virtual Memorial and Museum in 2007 to document, publicize, and pursue accountability for the intentional destruction of the largest medieval Armenian cemetery at Julfa by the Azerbaijani government. Simon, hello. Thank you very much for joining us. Hi, Victoria. Thank you for the invitation. So, first of all, tell us how you started your journey in cultural preservation and how did you end up working on the Julfa project? I was 19 years old in December 2005 when I received video of Azerbaijan's destruction of Julfa. It was a video taken from Iran's border across the river that showed uniformed men hacking away at Khachkars with sledgehammers and using heavy technology to remove every stone of the world's largest medieval Armenian cemetery. And it was continuing to happen. So it was fresh footage that I had just received um, through media channels. And it broke my heart because I was witnessing an erasure of an important side of Armenian cultural heritage. And I was very disappointed with Armenia's timid response with the world's silence and with Azerbaijan's denial. And so it sort of fell upon me to raise awareness about that issue. At first, I invited a student at the time at the University of Chicago, who is now uh, finishing her PhD at Yale University, Sarah Pickman, to help me prepare a five-minute video about the destruction uh, for English-speaking audiences. Then series of events followed that, publishing in History Today and as you mentioned, launching that website, julfa.com, that was you know, supposed to be a short-term project, I thought at the time, just to bring awareness, hoping that there could be a global trend of people paying attention and scholars writing about it and countries doing something about it. But the more time passed, the, the, the less interest there was. And so I just kept on it. And in 2019, following 13 months of intense writing and co-writing, that student who I worked with much earlier, Sarah Pickman and I, and you know, we were the same age, I think, and you know, different parts, different stages of our life, and we decided to tell the comprehensive story of Eurasia because we and mostly I had given too much attention to Julfa and forgotten about the other monuments that existed in Nakhijavan were that whereas this was a complete wipeout of an entire culture. And so we decided to tell the st story in a comprehensive manner. The reason for my involvement was because I, I had decided to start a family and, and I thought this might be my last chance to tell a story. And if I didn't do it, maybe no one else would. And so that's where we are. And unfortunately, the, the recent war that took place has brought a lot of appreciation um, and attention to my work. So do you think your research got actually enough attention in the international public and among researchers and cultural heritage specialists? Um, certainly, yeah. The, the, last ar the article that I referenced published in Hyperallergic in 2019, it, it received 
uh, overwhelming reaction in academic and media circles, reviews in The Guardian, the Los Angeles Times, and so many more papers across the world. Unfortunately, following this recent war, it has become sort of the uh, required text to cite in all major pieces on the fear and the threat that exists right now toward Armenian monuments under Azerbaijan's control. It did receive media and academic attention. I actually received the book just yesterday, the Oxford Handbook for Cultural Heritage International Law. It's, it's cited in there as well. But alas, it, it did not prompt political action, actions of accountability uh, on behalf of international organizations who are, who are meant to, you know, hold Azerbaijan and other perpetrators of cultural destruction accountable. Mm-hmm. So 13, almost 14 years after you launched your project, we have witnessed the second Artsakh war and the war was not easy and it had a lot of disastrous consequences in terms of loss of land, loss of people, lives and also loss of a homeland. So can you tell us why, among other important questions, the fate of the cultural heritage is so important and alarming in this conflict and war? Mm -hmm. Yeah, cultural preservation is both cause and effect of the Armenian and Azerbaijani conflict. If you look back at the the movement for Artsakh's sovereignty in the 80s, a lot of times the indigenous peoples of Artsakh cited the fate of Nakhijavan that they wished to avoid. They had seen the slow motion ethnic cleansing of uh, the entire Armenian population of Nakhijavan. They had seen slow motion destruction of cultural monuments in Nakhijavan under Soviet Azerbaijan. Of course, my research does not dwell on that. My research looks at Azerbaijan's independent era erasure of all remaining monuments starting in 1997. So what happened in Nakhijavan, both as it was happening, what ended up happening was was the very fate that Artsakh tried to to avoid. And unfortunately, we were not able to get to a point where those issues could be addressed proactively with Armenia being the dictating party in, in, in the negotiations. And so now we're at a place where thousands of monuments are under Azerbaijan's control, the very same government that destroyed 28,000 monuments in Nakhijavan that, that includes every single tombstone that Argamayvazian had been able to count. That's why the number is outrageously high. If we, if, we don't, if we don't mention every tombstone, if we count them as cemeteries, you know, the number would be uh, much smaller. But since there was a specific documentation, I, I use that number. So now we're in a situation where Azerbaijan is belligerent in its rhetoric, it's unwavering in its determination to ethnically cleanse the Ar- Armenian traces in the area, including by relabeling them as something else, um, which which also happened in Nakhijavan, and, and that did not prevent the, the destruction. So it is an overwhelmingly terrifying situation, given Azerbaijan's record and ongoing rhetoric. But it's upon everyone concerned about the situation, not just watch and mourn as destruction continues to happen. It's, it's upon us to find ways to to prevent it and to transform this politics of cultural erasure into into cultural diplomacy that, that helps save those monuments. So we have seen that regional experts often use the term albanization, referring to the Azerbaijan's efforts to erase the Armenian cultural presence in Nagorno-Karabakh. Can you please explain where that term comes from and how the process of historical revisionism of the Armenian cultural presence and monuments happens in Azerbaijan? 
Yeah, that's an interesting term, albanization. Of course, there is a modern country in the Balkans, Albania, also with old roots in the in that region that confuses the this discussion, but it has nothing to do with the Caucasus. In the antiquity era, there was a small ethnic tribal confederation called Arvank or Alwenia uh, that in some Latin sources has been transliterated as Albania. In the 1950s, as there was de-Stalinization in the Soviet Union, where nationalities were allowed to be more open about their culture. You had three countries in the South Caucasus, Georgia, Armenia, and Azerbaijan, two of which have very proud and long history in the region, aka Georgia and Armenia. And so there was a rebirth in, in both countries that looked at the ancient roots of both being, you know, the oldest countries to, to adopt Christianity in the world, the vast number of churches and whatnot. And Azerbaijan, my research suggests, felt left out in this process. And so they joined the competition of somewhat of an unhealthy discussion that someone might summarize as, you know, I'm more ancient, therefore I'm, I'm better than you. So Azerbaijan entered that discussion and, and because they don't have the same roots that Armenians and Georgians have in, in, in that region, they found this link, which is largely known through Armenian history, that small ethnic tribal confederation nation that had existed uh, up until probably the 7th century, long before the ancestors of Azerbaijanis arrived uh, in the region. So they found Albanians as the link to antiquity uh, to join that sort of unhealthy competition that Armenians and Georgians have of who is more ancient and therefore better. And they took it to a crazy extreme. Um, they claimed direct links to the Caucasian Albanians, even though Caucasian Albanians basically assimilated with Armenians and Georgians before Azerbaijanis ancestors arrived, like the Karakoyunlu uh, tribal confederations in, in 14th and 15th centuries. And of course, there were you know, maybe some Caucasian Albanians who had not completely assimilated to Armenians and Georgians where they were forced to Islamize and therefore become Azerbaijanis. So there's probably sh some shared DNA. But in terms of claiming the history of Caucasian Albanians as their own was a political act on behalf of Azerbaijanis to compete with Armenian and Georgian antiquity. But it, again, it was taken to a crazy extreme where not only the limited heritage that was created by Caucasian Albanians in the areas where Azerbaijanis reside today, Azerbaijanis ended up basically proclaiming every Armenian and Georgian church from the early medieval era on its territory as Caucasian Albanian, aka Azerbaijani, and, and, and tried to delegitimize Armenian and Georgian history in the region. The same thing happened in Nakhijavan. Uh, all the Armenian monuments there were declared Albanian, therefore Azerbaijani. But let's be clear, this was not a preservation tactic. This was not just a scholarly disagreement. This was a political act that was done in bad faith. Had it been done in good faith, had they really believed in those lies, they might have preserved the monument. It showed in the 1997 to the 2006 destruction that it was just BS propaganda that even their, their chief propagandists didn't believe in. Albanians never reached Nakhijevan. In terms of Artsakh or Garabakh, 
in a short period of history when Iranians or Persians were ruling the Caucasus, this is way, you know, this was before the Arab invasion and, and then later Mongol Turkic invasions, Persia divided the Caucasus into certain provincial areas. The Caucasian Albania that was very far away from, from Rabag until then uh, was given an administrative boundary that was expanded to include Artsakh and Utik, the Armenian regions, for a very brief period of time. So there was a very brief period of time in history where Garaba or Artsakh was part of an administrative area called Albania. And that's what Azerbaijan uses to so-called albanize the Armenian, the vast Armenian heritage of, of Garabagh and say that those are not Armenian monuments, they're Azerbaijani or Alban monuments. But again, that's not being done in good faith. That's not being done to actually to worship at those churches or worship those churches or respect those churches. It's done to discredit Armenian existence, to deny Armenian existence, both historically and presently and in the future. And it's, 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 it's a form of cultural erasure, not a tactic for preservation. And the same thing has been done with the Georgian David Gareja monastery on the territory of Azerbaijan, that Azerbaijan claims it to be Caucasian Albanian, not because they consider it sacred, not because they want to preserve it, but because they want to claim it as territory of Azerbaijan. And they use cultural monuments to justify this belligerence of, you know, claiming as much territory as they can by, mm -hmm. um, by changing the history of cultural monuments. Mm -hmm. So after the war, the Ombudsman of Artsakh has prepared an ad hoc report mentioning that around 1,500 overwhelmingly Armenian historical and cultural prominent monuments have been fallen under the Azerbaijani control. So what kind of monuments are we talking about? Are those only churches or just hachkars or there's more to that? And which historic period they are mostly uh, representing? That's a, that's a good question and I will answer it as a generalist because... As you mentioned in the beginning, I'm a political scientist. I look at cultural preservation, cultural destruction through the lens of politics and political science. And so I'm, I'm not a, a historian. However, as a, as a generalist, I know some facts about what heritage has been passed over to Azerbaijan. We are mostly heard of the prominent cathedrals like Dadivang or Tizernavang uh, or Gatichavang and, and others that are uh, now under Azerbaijan's control. I would say that Gatichavank isn't just under Azerbaijan's control, it's under their occupation because it's it's in the Hadzut region that uh, Azerbaijan has no legal claims to because it was part of the autonomous Soviet boundaries of Nagorno-Karabakh. So we have prominent cathedrals uh, that are probably in the minority and for the short term, there's not much risk to those monuments. Some have pretty interesting history like Tsitsernavank, which is closer to the borders of modern Armenia today. It has a very unique architecture to the point where some have suggested that perhaps it was originally built as a pagan temple and was rebuilt into a cathedral, not built over a pagan temple, but an actual pagan temple rebuilt into a cathedral, uh, which would make it a very unique monument. So that's probably one of the oldest churches that we've, we've ever had. Uh, in historical Armenia. And Darivank, as you know, as we have been hearing in the news, is under Russian peacekeepers' protection, but it has a lot of uh, Armenian pilgrims who have been trying to visit in recent days and weeks. Azerbaijan seems to be trying to even stop the visitation by, by pilgrims. That, that cathedral is from the 
uh, 9th to 12th centuries when it was completed. So those are the top monuments. There is a list of other lesser-known churches that are not as architecturally, visually appealing. You know, they're smaller basilicas. They don't have the beautiful Armenian domes that we see on cathedrals like Dadivang or Gatichavang. And some of those monuments, though, have extremely important history behind them, like Katarovang, which is now under Azerbaijani occupation. Uh, it's not only under Azerbaijani occupation, it's, it's in violation of the ceasefire agreement or announcement that Armenia and Azerbaijan signed on November the 10th because it was under Armenian control uh, when the war stopped. That small church, it's been renovated. It may not look visually as impressive, but it has amazing history. I mean, back in the fourth century, when Armenians had just converted to Christianity, it was a popular place for the study of Christianity and for conversion. Uh, and Iranians or Persians uh, actually encouraged Caucasian Albanian tribes who were much further away at the time uh, to come to that area and, and, and to try to oppress Christianity locally before they also converted to Christianity and, and joined the Armenian church. And so about 3,000 people were burned there. So there is this group of smaller churches that are under threat of destruction because they're not as well known. Uh, the next list of memorials under threat are Khachkars. Khachkars, if viewers are not familiar with them, are typically funerary Armenian headstones that are built of soft stones like tufa that can be easily destroyed with sledgehammers, so they're more vulnerable to destruction. And because Khachkars are uniquely Armenian, like the other indigenous Christians of the region, Georgians and the, you know, Caucasian Albanians, they never build Khashkars. You cannot Albanize. The Azerbaijan cannot claim that the Khashkars are Albanian. They are at most uh, the highest threat of destruction. And in fact, even though Azerbaijan has been releasing some footage from occupied areas, including from the Spitak Khach Vank or church, uh, in the occupied Hadrut region, their footage did not show a, 14, a major 14th century Khachkar that exists right next to it. And, and that makes me very worried about what has happened to those, to those monuments. And the, finally, there is another group of monuments that are not religious monuments, but they also bear Armenian history. Those are Meliktom structures dating from, I guess, the 12th to the 18th century when the Armenian principalities called, called Meliktoms existed in the area. A lot of their secular palaces, they're, they're mini palaces, they're, you know, they're not like real castles, but palaces and mini castles, a lot of them have Armenian inscriptions. And Azerbaijan says that those, they were not Armenian. I don't know, they don't even call them Albanian, they just say they were Turks, uh, uh, because those Armenian Meliks used Islamic names uh, to survive. And so, and so they're likely polishing out or destroying the inscriptions left by the Armenian Meliks to, to deny and erase their Armenian identities as well. So to summarize, we're looking at the well-known cathedrals that will probably be upkept. They will, they will be preserved uh, for the short term. The smaller Armenian churches are at a higher risk of destruction. The highest risk of destruction, though, are the Khachkars and the inscriptions on the Melik Dome palaces and, and mini castles.
We have been talking about UNESCO recently a lot because UNESCO is the UN agency that is responsible for the preservation of cultural heritage under danger worldwide. I have seen that they have expressed their willingness to visit the region, but Azerbaijan has repeatedly refused to respond to its requests. But UNESCO doesn't have a great history in the South Caucasus in terms of cultural preservation. I'm referring to the uh, to the Julfa case where they hesitated to act or to respond. So do you think that the agency has done and is doing enough to ensure the preservation of Armenian cultural heritage in Nagorno-Karabakh? Um, the obvious answer to the question is is no, but I was pleasantly surprised to see UNESCO to at least raise the issue publicly, which they haven't done before, as you mentioned, under their previous director generals, uh, Irina Bogova and Koichiro Matsura before her. UNESCO was outright bribed by uh, Azerbaijan into complete silence three and a half months before launching the final destruction of Jufa in December 2005. Azerbaijan's president hosted uh, Matsura, then the director general of UNESCO, gave him a medal of glory and likely an offer for a paid job because afterwards Matsura became board member of a propagandistic organization in Azerbaijan and he completely ignored the monstrous erasure of, of, of Julfa and the remaining monuments of Nakhijevan. Irina Bogova was not as careful about her dealings with Azerbaijan. Her husband, as it was revealed by investigative journalists, received half a million dollar of uh, wire transfer through laundered Azerbaijani dollars. And she also kept her silence. Uh, today, uh, Audrey Azulay, she seems to be more proper from what we can tell in terms of her dealings um, with rich countries, at least as far as Azerbaijan is, is concerned. So I'm assuming they have not bribed her so far. And that's why the UNESCO publicly asked Azerbaijan to send a mission and Azerbaijan was pretty upset about it. And they, they said, no, you know, this is our, our, our territory. We, we kind of get to decide how we handle our heritage. But I think the conversation should continue. I think there should be more public pressure on UNESCO to act more and to UNESCO to, to try to work with Azerbaijan. Because what I don't want to see is for Armenians to, you know, so for us to become righteous victims of our self-fulfilling prophecies. I don't want to sit there and watch the destruction of Dadivang and Cizernavang and see, you know, tell the world, see, you know, this, we told you this was going to happen. This is your fault. And, that, and that's it. Because as flattered as I am, of all the attention my research has received on Nahijevan in, in, in recent months, I, I wish I was older when the destruction was happening so that I, I, I could have found means to perhaps try to prevent and stop the destruction from happening instead of being left with the only option of investigating and exposing it. So Armenians and cultural heritage defenders should be relentless about trying to find every and any possibility to preserve those monuments. So except for UNESCO, I think that there there have to be some Christian organizations who have also worried about the fate of those churches in Nagorno-Karabakh. Have you seen uh, any activity on behalf of Christian organizations who would try to support Armenia against Azerbaijan's historic revisionism? I have seen some advocacy organizations. Uh, there is one that uses the website persecution.org who has looked into this. I hope there will be more global involvement in this, and I hope Christianity will not be the angle through which the preservation will be looked at uh, because it's it's not about one religion against another. It's about vulnerable culture that's facing extinction. And 
to be very frank, there is no Christian solidarity, and maybe there shouldn't be. And, and in recent years, especially, Christianity has been hijacked oftentimes by white supremacy, especially in U.S. circles. So sometimes that can be a counterproductive way of, of, of engaging organizations through the lens of Christianity alone. It should be the task of everyone, regardless of religion, to care for cultural preservation. And frankly, there are some individuals in evangelical circles like a U.S. commissioner by the name of Johnny Moore who are propagandists for the Aliyev regime. I don't know if he gets paid or what bonus to pick with Armenians. He lives in Glendale. Maybe he, you know, some Armenian woman broke his heart or whatnot. I, I, I don't know what his problem is. But we actually have people in evangelical circles who are, who are propagandists for Azerbaijan who are helping the the erasure. Um, so I, I but but this doesn't mean that we shouldn't go to the World Council of Churches, we shouldn't go to the uh, the Pope and ask for, you know, their engagement in, in preservation. But it should not be the the only way for, for Armenians to, to seek cooperation. There's we have to leave no stone unturned in making sure that the stones that Azerbaijan, the sacred stones Azerbaijan has control over are preserved as much as possible. So going back to the other side of the discussion, which is the uh, critique of the Armenian side, recently there have been some photos appearing on social media showing that the mosques in Nagorno-Karabakh have also been transformed into uh, into a cowshed. And one example was the um, Al-Khanli Mosque in Fizuli region. The, the photos appeared right after the war when the journalists were allowed to go there for a tour. So if we, we are perfectly honest with ourselves, can we say that the authorities in Artsakh are also responsible for the non-preservation of some Islamic heritage in the region. Well, this is how I would frame the question. Have Armenians of Artsakh, the Armenian authorities and the population, done their best to preserve the entire Islamic heritage that was left behind? And the answer is no. We have not done 100% to preserve that heritage. We also have to ask the question, has Azerbaijan done everything possible to wipe out the entire Armenian heritage of former regions of historical Armenia, like Nakhijavan? And the answer is absolutely yes. So I just want to make sure we're not equivocating lack of perfect preservation with determination for complete erasure. I'm not justifying the use of sacred sites uh, for cow sheds or other secular purposes that in, in my mind that is unacceptable regardless of the circumstances. But we also have seen prominent examples of the Artsakh authorities engaging in preservation of, of mosques and study of mausoleums. I mean, I'm, I've been looking at the preservation politics of an interesting monument that exists in the Agdam region that was passed over to Azerbaijan recently. It's a mausoleum for a most likely a Mongol lord built in the 14th century by Armenian architects. And when you look at the photographs of the mausoleum before it passed over to Azerbaijan, there is signs of like graffiti vandalism on it uh, in Cyrillic letters. And all of them are in Azerbaijani names. So all, all of that was done before Armenians took control of the area in the first Artsakh war. We have seen, of course, churches in Armenia and Artsakh as well, where there's Armenian names used as graffiti on abandoned churches. Um, but the reason why I mentioned the mausoleum in particular is just to show uh, the the respect that 
Armenians have demonstrated toward Islamic heritage in Artsakh in most cases. But of course, as you pointed out, it wasn't a perfect, a perfect yeah, uh, effort. And I don't know if we could have done more, but we, we should have done more to, to preserve. But more importantly, we should have prioritized preservation of Armenian monuments because those are at risk of complete erasure. There is no risk of complete erasure of Islamic monuments in Armenian-controlled areas because there is no government, there is no state motivation in Armenia or in Artsakh to, to erase Islamic monuments. You have talked recently during your interviews about a, a cooperation or cultural diplomacy. So what is your proposed path to peace and to prevent the further demolition of the cultural history in the region? What should be done on behalf of Armenia and on behalf of Azerbaijan, also international community, to stop this and also to hold Azerbaijan accountable right now to make sure that it, this history doesn't repeat itself? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I don't think I have a, a peace plan in place uh, to one of the most complicated conflicts in, in recent history. However, I do believe that engaging in cultural diplomacy, as you said, and preserving those monuments can be effort of peace building between the two nations. Of course, it would be extremely hard given what Azerbaijan did in, in Nakhijevan to expect of that very same regime to somehow see value in preservation of cultural monuments. But it doesn't mean that we have to stop trying, that we that we can't look at alternatives for cultural preservation. Maybe it won't be government-to-government -government cooperation to preserve cultural monuments. Maybe it will take the Armenian church to reach out to the Sheikh al-Islam in Azerbaijan, invite them for bilateral monitoring or trilateral monitoring uh, of sacred sites under Armenian and under Azerbaijani control. I referenced earlier, you know, Azerbaijan's 1950s competition with Armenians uh, for antiquity, with Armenians and Georgians. And obviously Azerbaijanis don't have, you know, the cultural and historical lengthy record to have a chance at competing. However, this doesn't mean that Armenians get to deny Azerbaijanis the right to consider the Islamic monuments that are under Armenian control as sacred sites to the Azerbaijani faithful. And so mm -hmm. I think it's upon Armenians to recognize that Azerbaijanis consider Islamic monuments on the territory of Armenia and on the territory of Artsakh, regardless of who and when built those monuments, sacred to them. And even though Armenia has preserved most of those monuments, right, we, we have denied Azerbaijan's their, their right to consider the, those cultural monuments where Azerbaijanis used to worship when they lived in Armenia as sacred, and that might be one way of engaging in cultural diplomacy. Of course, again, what's at threat is the ancient Armenian heritage of the region. Instead of kind of engaging in dialogue or in uh, rhetoric that uh, belittles Azerbaijan's historical roots, that denies them uh, any, any cultural presence in the region, I think we need to be more generous in respecting what Azerbaijan is considered sacred in that process to make sure we earn similar respect for our right to to preserve and protect our sacred sites and not as much maybe you know talk about the history of the monuments as we're discussing with Azerbaijanis or preservation you know they they shouldn't be asking us did Caucasian Albanians or did Armenians build or rebuild Amaras the question should be, who is it sacred to? It's obviously, it's one of the most sacred sites 
to Armenians in the world. And similarly, we, we shouldn't tell Azerbaijan as well, the mosque in Yerevan is Persian. It's in, made in Persian style and it was part of the Persian um, uh, Ira Iranian empire when it was built. If they consider it sacred, we should let them consider it sacred. We should recognize that it's sacred to Azerbaijanis. And in that process, build mutual trust and help Azerbaijanis see the pain that Armenians get, go through when our cultural monuments are erased in Azerbaijan and, and make sure that that trend stops. And one way perhaps of doing this is looking at monuments that both consider historically significant finding hope, like that mausoleum that I mentioned that was in Agdam, uh, built by Armenian Christian craftsmen for an Islamic lord in the four, 14th century, that can be an example to to transform Azerbaijan's politics of erasure into one that embraces cultural diversity. But we we have to be engaged in that process on different means, academically, uh, faith-based leaders, and eventually citizen diplomacy, which is really hard to do right now. Armenians are traumatized. We endured so much loss. And we are back in, in, in that vulnerable mindset of just having gone out of a, a genocidal onslaught. But we have to be very practicable about what it's going to take to preserve our sacred sites and make sure that what happened in Nakhijavan does not happen again in the region. It's obviously a very sensitive topic, and, and we hope that it will not be lost uh, in the middle of political negotiations or lack of negotiations in the future. Thank you very much, Simon, for talking about this important topic. We'll make sure to keep an eye on the developments and report uh, further what's, what's going to be the fate of Armenian culture heritage in Azerbaijan. Thank you, Victoria. I appreciate you bringing attention to the cause of cultural preservation and I look forward to staying engaged in this uh, academically in my pursuit of finding hope for cultural preservation despite everything that has happened in, in our own lifetime.